Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What's up, man? We are now at the All-Star break. This is what we've seen happen in all of these different sports leagues, COVID, no COVID, whatever. They're all going to get through, and we're, we're halfway home with the NBA season. So tonight was the last uh, round of games before Sunday's All-Star extravaganza with basically, I think, all four events on the same day. So before we get into the actual basketball, I got to quickly ask you, how do you feel about that format? And could that be something they do going forward? Just cram it all in and, you know, five-hour stretch. I hate it. I hate it. Look, look, All-Star Weekend, I love it being stretched out. I love the Friday like what do they do on Friday? They do the they do the celebrity um, game and the celebrity game or the East the World versus US rookie sophomore World game. versus US and then I love the Saturday hype of the three point shootout and the dunk contest. You end it on Sunday with a game. It it has to be a weekend. It can't be a five hour just packed in in one session. So I'm not I'm not a fan of that, especially with the lineups for some of the contests, which we can talk about. But I mean, I guess they got to do what they got to do. Well, it's funny because the best part about Saturday nights is always like the the stars being courtside, right? And like hyping up their guys. Like, you know, when Zach Levine was on the Timberwolves, like Cat and Wiggins were courtside, like going crazy. And like whoever the teammates are, whoever all the stars are, that's been forever. Like Shaq with the old camcorder. Remember? Dude, I know, um, I know. And, and look, just as recently as last year, like the last All-Star game, I was at a bachelor party in Scottsdale watching Buddy Heald win the three-point contest and losing my mind and to see how far how far we've fallen since then and where we're at now. Um, to be fair, you would have done that regardless of whether it was on Saturday, Sunday, or Tuesday morning. Like that had you losing your mind because of Buddy Heald had nothing to do with the timing of the game. That's fair. That's fair. But just, you know, it was a different time. I'll put it that way. It was a very different time. But we're going to get to the all-star stuff. Uh, we're going to do some mini predictions. LeBron and KD just made their roster selections tonight. Dunk contest, three-point contest, skills competition, all of the fields have been announced. It's a little depressing, but but we're going to get into it for sure. Uh, before we do that, uh, I thought at this point it would be a good chance to look back uh, both on the season we've, we, you know, we've had thus far as well as what's to come. You know, we talked about this with Justin a couple weeks ago, but usually the All-Star break happens much further into a particular season. So in an 82-game season, usually they're playing it around game 50. This is actually perfectly at the midway point. Uh, If you think about most teams have played right around that 36-game total. Uh, Remember, this season's only going to 72. So it really does feel like a halfway point check uh, of all of the things I think that we thought coming into the season you know, how those stories have changed, how the different narratives have been shaped. So, you know, as you think about the first half of the year, what's the one thing that jumps out as, you know, what maybe has defined the season thus far? I think it absolutely has to be James Harden. I think he's altered the landscape of what this league looked like in the offseason and what it looks like now. Because, I mean, it, this started a while ago. Daryl Morey stepped down in, in October. And since then, we've seen a whole saga unfold where, the trade rumors already start flying in in the offseason before the season even starts. Is Harden going to get moved? Is he going to get dealt? Nothing happens. He starts the season. You have the whole strip club saga, the controversy around that, and, and then you have him coming back and dogging it on, on the Rockets and eventually getting traded to the Nets, which was always a possibility and people talked about it, but it's one of those situations where until it happens, 
only then you realize just how monumental that that trade actually was. And you look at this team now and all those, you know, I remember in December, everyone was talking about where will Harden fit. He's so used to this ISO style of ball and will the Heat even want him, you know, because of the Heat culture and all this and that. And you forget how good of a player he is. And I think we're all being reminded of that now. And this Nets team has, we thought of them as a contender at the beginning of the season, but now they've become like a legitimate uh, shot. They have a legitimate shot to win the title. So I think it starts and ends with Harden. This entire season is all about his narrative and how that's kind of shaped uh, what we might see in the postseason. You know, it's funny because I was searching my tweets uh, to try to remember exactly what my reaction was. And I do this every so often just to make sure I didn't tweet anything offensive in 2013 or what was not (laughs) offensive then, but now would be deemed so today. Um, So just kind of do that cleansing every so often. But I was looking at what I said about this trade and I, I remember being like, back when it was a rumor, like you said, Brooklyn was always on the horizon because it was one of the two places he initially gave is where he wanted to go. And I said, why are we talking about Brooklyn? This is the worst (laughs) trade offer of anybody who's reasonably going to have a chance at Harden. Like, this is so dumb. Like, what are we doing? And then fast forward to my reaction the night of the trade. I think we recorded actually either that day or the day after. And I was starting to talk myself into it. And I think it was solely to make myself feel better about the NBA purgatory that John Wall now found himself in. And the reality is this was almost Chris Paul to the Lakers level. Like if David Stern was still alive, he would have stepped in to maybe stop this thing. Because even those four picks be damned, like I don't think people forgot how good James Harden was, but I think people like you mentioned with the heat culture stuff, started rationalizing shit that didn't even fucking matter. Because at the end of the day, antics, behavior aside, the one thing you can always say about Harden is he comes to play. He he might have a particular style that may not mesh with everyone. He might not always give 100% on defense, blah, blah, blah. But this isn't a guy like Kawhi who sits out here and there, or Kyrie who has like, you know, you never know what you're getting from him. He loves basketball. He plays every single night. And what he's been doing in Brooklyn is I can't even believe this has happened because he's in my top five MVP right now. When you think about Durant's absence, Durant's actually only played 19 games. Um, When you think about that West Coast trip where they were annihilating people, um, he won that Suns game single-handedly, you know, Aside from a couple, those couple Cleveland games up front and, you know, maybe that goofy game they lost to the Wizards, they are rolling. So I guess the question becomes this. You said they have a chance at the title. Isn't it more than that? Are they your favorite right now? Because I think against my better judgment, I know I might regret this in June and July. I think they're my favorite to win the title, even above the Lakers. I still, I still think the Lakers would would have to be the favorite. Um, look, I'm not betting against LeBron until he loses. It's kind of like Tom Brady. Like you can you can talk about it. All well, except want, he's but... lost six times in the finals. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom Brady's lost two, right? But it, it, it with this Lakers team, I you you can't be a prisoner of the moment. I, I think they're good enough to to contend with the Lakers, but I would still pick. They still have their issues, um, but I would still go with the Lakers right now. I think the the crazy thing about the whole Harden uh, trade to the Nets too is that it really was a what if moment for the NBA because I don't know if you remember but back in November December Denver was thrown out not that these teams necessarily had interest but there were 
rumors that maybe Denver would try to get in, right? And mm-hmm. maybe they could put a package together with Jamal Murray. And we t- I already talked about Miami. There are all these teams that if they got Harden, they'd be in the exact same place Brooklyn is right now. Can you imagine that Denver team with the way Jokic is playing? If you ship Jamal Murray's sorry ass out and you brought in uh, James Harden, yeah, that would, it would it, be. so. And so the, when I think about all those teams that are rumored in the, in the Harden trade, so many other teams could have been that that one a contender, and and it's interesting that Brooklyn was able to get them, and now they're they like you said they might be the favorites right now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think anyone will be surprised if they win the title, um, pretty easily too. If they win in five or six, it would not be a complete surprise. I, I just think that if you think about the burden on Harden all these years uh, in Houston, it's that he couldn't take the big shot, make the big shot, always come up big in the big moments. They've got two guys on their team who have certifiable like NBA legacy defining moments in their careers, including one Kevin Durant, who went toe to toe with LeBron twice and came out victorious. Now, you know, we could put the roster and balance questions aside. The fact is Durant won two finals MVPs in series that LeBron was playing in, went eight and one in those two series. And even if you talk about roster imbalance, you could argue he has just as good of a roster now. So if anything, this is more to the point that, you know, the, the Nets could be favored. I think the biggest question with the Nets early on was defense and rebounding, which they came out of the gates looking like that should be an issue, right? It was atrocious. They've gotten better and they don't even have Durant, who's easily the best of those three players in terms of defense and rebounding and rim protection. So while they definitely are going to be players in the buyout market, I don't know if that means Andre Drummond or someone more like JaVel McGee. I think they're going to be able to shore up enough on that front. And then they're getting contributions from guys like Bruce Brown. You know, Joe Harris looks awesome coming off that big contract. Even Landry Shaman is starting to make some make some shots. And I think that like they're plugging all of the holes on all of the questions. And, and bringing it back to Harden, the most amazing thing I think for me is he's always been a gifted passer, right? Like he's led the league in assists um, before in 2016-17. He's doing it again now, actually right, right around the same click. But if you think about the last three seasons in Houston where he won three scoring titles, he was averaging 33 a game on 22 shots, including 11 threes a game, Right. Those numbers are all the way down to just over 16 shots, eight threes, and 25 a game while dishing out 11.1 assists, 11.4 assists in his Brooklyn tenure, which would be a career high. So for him to seamlessly take over control from a just ball control standpoint, but shift his game to move more from just the hoisting to the ball ball movement, I don't, I think we're almost understating it to some degree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and yeah, go ahead. No, he's and I mean the other thing that's interesting about this is he's become just so much more of a fun player to watch. Like he's yeah, that's a, the the hard part about Harden's always that we know how great he is, but just yeah. watching him and the way he gets his points and that way that Rockets offense operated, it was tough uh, to appreciate his game. And I think now there's this newfound appreciation a lot of people are having because they're seeing him play. Like you said, he's averaged a lot of assists in the past, but I think dropping the shot uh, shot attempts down, less fewer of the step backs, he still has that in his uh, arsenal. Yep. Uh, and just playing more of that facilitator role really is his sweet spot. Like We always called him, uh, even when he was in OKC, right? He was supposed to be like a supercharged Manu Ginobili at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Like that sixth man, but 
crafty playmaker can create his own shot, but also has the vision to kind of find the open man. And I think we're seeing the best version of him, even though this may not be the best player Harden's been in the past. This is the most kind of the basketball savant version of him that we haven't seen. Yeah. I mean, like even like think his his prior three seasons, his usage percent was at 38%, which is basically it's a two man race, him and Russell Westbrook for one, two. And I think maybe Jordan might be up there like for top three all time. So this is a guy who's used to having everything flow through him. That's all the way down to 27% right now. And the fact is he's played so many games without Durant. I actually expect that to go lower when KD is back in the fold, taking his 15 to 20 shots a game. And I think it's also done wonders for Kyrie. Like Kyrie, we've always talked about, is one of the most talented individual basketball players we've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole. That's just his skill set and his size, like finishing, handling, shooting. He's got it all offensively. And he doesn't have to worry about making others better. He just has to worry about getting his. And then once the attention all collapses on Harden, you see how much easier the game becomes for Kyrie, even from a distribution standpoint. Because now the secondary pass, the hockey assist, you know, defense is trying to like collapse. It's almost like a souped up version of what the Warriors were able to do with KD, Steph, Clay. But now because all of these guys can dribble and shoot in the same type of way, I like I guess I struggled to look at even the Lakers, like what are they going to do defensively? Or Philadelphia, I think, is the first test, right? Because Philadelphia has a player that absolutely Brooklyn cannot guard. Like Joel Embiid will go for 40 and 20 every every game. But even assuming that they get that, is there a route for Philly to have a chance at stopping this offense? I maybe I'm maybe I'm, as we know, recency bias, prisoner of the moment uh, type guy that I am. Maybe I'm just overlooking something but the way they ping the ball around the way that they have shot creators shot makers from every position on the court and i think with the way deandre jordan has kind of been revitalized a little bit they are quickly answering a lot of the questions i think people have for them look it's an absolute concern for any team playing them because even if you have two elite defensive players there's always the third option who can um be on the weak side of the court or the complete other side of the court. And there's no way you can cover all that ground. You need three elite defenders to guard all those guys because each one of them can take you one-on-one. Each one of them is a great shooter. So you have to close out, but you also have to, to, you know, keep your distance to, to watch out for the drive. And I don't think any team can stop them, right? You can always slow them down. I think in crunch time, you're going to get into like trouble. I think a close game Brooklyn's going to come out on top every time. And we're starting to see that in the last couple of games. Kevin Durant's not even here. But their their crunch time possessions are just impossible to stop. And, you know, other teams are going to slow down in the uh, in the fourth quarter in the last couple of possessions. You're not going to get the same kind of looks. Yep. You're not going to get the same type of efficient shots. Brooklyn doesn't seem to lose a step. And when Durant comes back, that's even going to get harder. So in terms of how the Lakers match up, I think it's too early to start focusing on that i think yeah um but brooklyn you know you talked about the need for a big man in the bio market i don't even think they need andre drummond i think they need a javel mcgee they need yeah. a guy who can just give them 20 minutes as a body you know who can kind of rim Six run fouls. get rebounds yeah that's he's not going to be in their crunch time lineup anyway whatever big they get is not going to be in their um, last six minutes of the fourth quarter so i think they've got plenty of options i don't think that's as big of a hold for them to fill um yeah, I don't know, man. It, yeah. it is going to be hard. Now that I think about it, I, I don't see it's how. It's insane. 
And, and yeah. the thing is, that's the thing. It's like these guys, like Harden, you can argue he may not be clutch, but Kyrie and KD are ridiculously clutch. And so, like, to me, the biggest question with Harden is answered by the fact that Durant is as good as he is. And the fact that, I mean, look, the hamstring is a little bit more concerning than I think people are generally indicating. Maybe it's truly just kid gloves on him at this point and they don't care about the regular season. And maybe it's not even a concern for them. They're just being overly cautious. But if Durant's healthy, we've already seen that he's basically back to the same version uh, that we last saw in Golden State. So, and, and in some ways, even better. He almost looks as good as he did in those Oklahoma City seasons. And so you can argue, it's like, okay, well, Harden's not going to be asked to go ISO create that last second shot. That's KD's bag right there. Or that's Kyrie. And I think Harden's going to be the facilitator in a way that's going to get these guys looks that they've never even dreamed of. Um, and KD, you know, played with Steph, who is one of the best, maybe if the if not the best off-ball player of all time. But he didn't run the point in the same manner that Harden's running the point in terms of constantly being on. So that dribble drive penetration is a little different. Uh, when he was playing with the Warriors, playing off Draymond and those back screens. So I- I'm fascinated to see how this progresses. And, you know, the other thing I would add is like Steve Nash is a big question mark, right? You know, first time head coach, how is he going to respond when they're down 2-1 and on the road, whatever. But I also think that the first year head coach narrative has been somewhat disproven, right? Yeah. Ty Lu won as a first year. Steve Kerr won it as a first year. Uh, Nick Nurse won it as a first year. Even Frank Vogel, who had previously coached, you know, in Orlando and Indiana, was still in his first year with the Lakers. So maybe we make too big of a deal about some of these things. And at the end of the day, it's basketball. Like, talent's going to win out. I, I think Nash is going to be the right coach for these guys because, like you said, the I'm not worried about the scheming and what they're going to do. They'll They'll make adjustments. They'll figure it out. They'll be competitive no matter what. They're not going to lose because of significant coaching disadvantages. I don't think so, at least. Mm-hmm. I, and I think the, the biggest challenge to them is you got three superstars. You know, you got a group who they all can create. They all can play kind of that one-on-one style of basketball. The last thing you want them to do is devolve into a style where it's your turn, my turn. And mm-hmm. in, look, in the playoffs, that's going to happen. But it, you know, you, the Miami Heat, we look at the 2010 Miami Heat. You had LeBron, you had Wade, you had Bosh. The The reason that team struggled against Dallas, first of all, Dallas had great defenders to throw at LeBron, but they didn't have, that Miami Heat team did not have an identity. They, the whole season they got by just on their talent, a lot of one-on-one play by both LeBron and Wade. And Spolster had not really implant, implemented any kind of identity for them, and it cost them. And so I think that could be Brooklyn's downfall. Um, yep. is if they kind of resort to that hero ball approach towards the end. But I think the way they're playing right now and the way they're moving the ball gives me hope that um, I don't think that'll be as big of an issue. Yeah, and that's where the Duran issue injury is such a problem because this isn't a team that's played together for three years and they have that continuity. Like they are still trying to learn and adding the second best player in the world is kind of a big deal to like create that you know what we're going to look like in the playoffs. But, but if anything, right. it's good that Harden and Kyrie – got the, yes. all this time together, right? And Durant was yes. the odd man out because Durant's played that role in Golden State where he jumped onto a perfectly good team and he didn't, you know, miss a beat. So Yeah, and he got his looks, but he didn't dominate possessions in the way that like a Harden yep. or Kyrie do to some degree. All right, so looking at the NBA standings, you think about Brooklyn and Philadelphia are the class of the East, right? And we knew Brooklyn was going to become 
uh, a title contender even pre-Harden trade. And we knew Philadelphia was going to bounce back from, you know, being the sixth seed last year. They hired Doc Rivers. They shipped out Al Horford, kind of rebalanced the roster a little bit. I think what nobody saw coming was what happened to the rest of the East. There was a lot of talk about how even the top of the East was becoming and how dominant the top of the East was coming almost uh, to say that it was on par or above the top of the West. Now you look at it and overall the East is 99 and 119 against the Western Conference this year. There's only three teams with winning records against the West. After Philly and Brooklyn, you basically have, and, and Milwaukee, I should say, I apologize. You basically have Boston at four and the Wizards at 12 separated by three games in the loss column. Um, and so a big part of this is the fact that the, the teams that people thought were going to be in title contention have kind of faltered. So, you know, Boston, Miami, and Toronto, pick one and, and let's talk about, you know, I think all three are kind of actually hitting their stride a little bit, but let's talk about one where you think they faltered and where, and do you see this, you know, do you see them riding the ship in the second half of the year? I think the the it starts with Boston. When I look at uh, Miami, had dealt with a lot of COVID issues, um, and Miami also we know overperformed last year. I think Boston yeah. has been in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference the last three, four, or five years. Even when Kyrie went down, even you know the roster has gone through significant changes uh, over the last four or five years, but they've stayed on top, and a lot of credit has been given to Brad Stevens. I think this year we really overlooked how thin that roster really is. And especially given the ongoing, I mean, Kemba's been playing amazing the last couple of games, but you know, with his ongoing injury issues and the rest of that roster as being as thin as it is, we talked a little bit about it in the off season, but I don't, I didn't realize that it, despite Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum having like career seasons, they're st- still struggling quite a bit. And so I think this is a team that clearly is going to have to make moves to the trade deadline. You know, Harrison Barnes is a popular name that they might go after. They need another wing. They need some additional depth. And um, I think if they can get another piece, we'll see them kind of surge back up to the, the top of the standings. But right now, I think they're the one that stands out to me as the biggest disappointment. Yeah, I think, you know, with... With Toronto, you could argue they relocated uh, to Tampa. That's had some issues. You know, like you said, Miami's had a bunch of COVID problems. They've had a bunch of like ticky-tack injuries where Heroes missed some time, Jimmy's missed some time, bam. With Boston, and I think this really lends itself to a broader conversation because these guys have been on the precipice of title contention for a long time. And there's actually been a lot of kind of rumblings about Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. And, you know, we basically have been putting these guys on a pedestal for years and years with how they ran circles around the league. You know, they made the freaking conference finals with Isaiah Thomas uh, making second team all NBA. Uh, so, you know, to your point, regardless of the roster, regardless of the makeup, they've been right there. And now it feels so weird because Tatum and Brown are two all-stars under the age of 25 and it feels like their window's closing. And this may just be us kind of talking ourselves into it because this is the same nucleus that we've seen not get over the hump. But maybe we also need to step back and be like, look, they're good. Like they're going to be fine. And those two dudes are under long-term contracts. But it is quite interesting because the hardest thing to do in the NBA is to cash in your assets when it's time. Um, It is not easy to collect, but much, much easier to 
sell the farm than it is to figure out a way to like, you know, build the house. And with Boston, they nailed everything starting from that Brooklyn trade. Brooklyn trade got them all the picks that turned into Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. Then they masterfully flipped the number one pick in 2017 that turned into Jason Tatum. And then they signed, uh, they, they made that Kyrie Irving trade, which was a home was run. Yeah. Uh, they signed Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, like Jesus. Um, and then it, the house came crumbling down, right? Lost all three of those dudes for nothing. Um, the picks that they were supposed to have from Sacramento and Memphis that were going to be really tight were the two years Sacramento and Memphis like way overperformed and they turned into like late lottery. And then they did something that every team does and that they missed mid round picks. Um, the problem is they missed all of them, right? Other than Peyton Pritchard, you don't really have a player on that roster um, that from the recent drafts that is a contributor, maybe Grant Williams, but you know, Grant Williams isn't swinging the playoff series. And then the Kemba Walker signing, who made the all-star team last year, but now it looks like his knees might be shot. Meanwhile, Terry Rozier is playing awesome in in Charlotte. And so you have all these question marks now. And I think ultimately they're going to be okay. But, you know, I think about this all the time with the way the post-Hinky Sixers failed to cash in their assets properly. Thankfully, they still had Embiid and Simmons. And I think it's going to come up with OKC and with – New Orleans, where they have all these picks coming to them and they got to make do with, you can't just sit on 20 first rounders. Um, you know, Boston is a team to me that's not going to win the title this year and they're going to have some hard choices because Kemba's got two years left after this one. You know, Marcus Smart's a fan favorite, but he's kind of the only tradable asset that has value, I think. And how do they get this team better? unless you're just asking for more internal growth from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And they're not at their peaks, but they're pretty close. So, yeah. And, and the problem is I think Danny age, I think everyone on in that organization took the growth of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for granted. And what I mean by that is they assumed that when those guys, those guys were going to make a leap and they'd be fine. Well, guess what? Those guys made a leap and this team is not in any better off of a position. So they can't just rely on that growth. And I think Ainge, my problem with Ainge has always been, we always hear him in the media talking about how they were this close. They almost pulled the trigger. They had this deal on the table, right? And it's at some point you got to pull the trigger. And I think I've liked some of the aggressive moves he made with the Kyrie move was amazing. Like regardless of how it worked out, I mean, Kyrie's still showing he's an amazing player. They gave up not that much for it, but to bank on that Memphis pick, the Sacramento pick, like you said, and, didn't really have any contingency plans for now when Horford left, Hayward left, they're left with a pretty bare cupboard. Like Tristan Thompson was their big signing of the off season. Um, yeah. You know, they, they've got Jeff Teague playing significant minutes, you know, especially when Kemba was out this and, roster that, yeah. And the, the they turned, you talk about Tristan Thompson, they could have had miles Turner and Doug McDermott in the Gordon Hayward sign and trade. And they were just like, we don't want miles Turner. And like, yeah. I don't totally, totally blame them. But then you come back and look at he's playing like a defensive player of the year candidate and they're left with Tristan Thompson for half his salary. But, you know, that's a yeah, big I, need for them right now. So I think a lot of the blame has to fall on Danny Ainge. And I think that's why I'm hoping they do something more aggressive at this trade down the deadline itself, because this team as constructed is always going to be pretty good. But with the way Philly's playing, with how Brooklyn's going to look like, at least for a couple of years, there's no room for the Celtics to make the finals if they they keep this roster as is. Yeah, I mean, 
things change quickly, so I don't want to say like Brooklyn's going to absolutely have the the East on lock, or even Philly, who last year finished sixth and lost to Boston in the playoffs with largely you know similar roster. With Embiid and Simmons, kind of that awkward fit, and like Embiid's playing out of his fucking mind right now, but he's still an injury prone in condition issue. So I don't want to write the chapter on, on this version of the Celtics. I do think though, that they're stuck with the Kemba deal in a really damaging way because he was that last guy they could afford. And now they have a trade exception of, you know, pretty large trade exception. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million for the Gordon Hayward uh, signing by Charlotte, but trade exceptions, only makes sense if a team is just going to give you this like tight player for who makes 18 million. Like no, if he makes 18 million and he's adding value to your team, he's probably good enough to not just be traded into an exception. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> we need to factor that in. Like they're not just going to put someone sick in that role and be like, here we go. We're ready to, we're ready to reload. Like this is what's so frustrating with Boston being like in the running for Nikola Vucevic or Jeremy Grant. It's like, these dudes are not just being gift wrapped to you because you're Danny Ainge. Like nobody wants fucking, you know, Grant Williams and Daniel Tice and whatever, Aaron Neesmith. Like those guys aren't getting anyone out of bed. And I think every team and every organization is massively guilty of overrating their players and assets. I don't think anybody does it more than Boston. Yeah, it gets worse when you have to listen to, or when we both, you know, we're big Bill Simmons fans, yeah, exactly. and we listen to him on the podcast throwing out these just asinine trades. Absolutely ideas. asinine trade. I think he started the Vucevic rumor because nobody <laughs> yeah. said it, and then he said it, and then all of a sudden it was being reported by Shams. Um, yeah. well, one, one last thing on Boston. Yeah. One last thing on Boston. Do you remember, you know, back when we were at Booth, uh, this is when the Brad Stevens hype was at its peak, and there, there were yeah. a lot of those conversations going around of, would you rather have Brad Stevens or like, you know, uh, no, like, dude, who'd you draft a, first? Like, there's a famous tweet, um, and it was like, in a franchise draft, do you take yeah. a player or Brad Stevens like first? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. there's a vote, like, like a third of people voted for Brad Stevens. I actually distinctly it's remember damn. us playing 2K and me talking myself into the Brad Stevens side of that argument, which. I know it's it's ridiculous, but that's how much hype this guy had back then. Like he because could do we no wrong. Booth, he was the Isaiah best Thomas year. Yeah. That was the Isaiah Thomas year where it was like, how the hell did Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, <laughs> and Avery Bradley make the conference finals? Yeah, and it's just funny now. Like we're starting to see Brad Stevens is human after all. I would not take him over uh, Kevin Durant. One quick question for you for Miami: They overachieved, yes. Bam. Hero, Robinson, they still have Precious, Achua, they still have a young core, but how much do you worry about their window closing um, as a potential title contender? Because Jimmy Butler's 31, Goran Dragic uh, is 34, 35, Iggy is obviously 36, and they've been angling for Giannis for the summer of 2021. He's gone. And they were angling for Bradley Beal. He doesn't look like he's available. They're angling for that next star. They created the max slot. Right now, it's looking like Victor Oladipo. So it's time to, is it time to sound the alarm in Miami? And what can they do, if anything, to actually you know, make another run like they had last year? Their window's absolutely closing because of Jimmy Butler's age. That being said, you just listed the reason why they can retool. They've got a lot of assets on their roster. They got Hero. They got Precious Ashua. They've got a couple you know, young pieces. Even Duncan Robinson has some sort of value. Um, 
they've got these chips that they can use to trade for for another guy. And so I think with Bam's development and what Bam's turning into, that has to have you confident. And they can easily, everyone wants to come to Miami. They can easily get that star player that they need to kind of round out that roster. So I'm I'm not too worried about them. Pat Riley always figures a move to make. Uh, you know, they're never out of relevance for too long. Yeah. My only concern is if you think about the bank of unhappy stars, I don't know how many there are right now if Beal is insistent on staying in D.C. Because after him, you look down the list and it feels like everyone who was upset has now moved and picked a new spot. So we're obviously going to get the next wave of young guys who are now frustrated. Devin Booker was high on that list, but now he's good. Um and his buddy, Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, is really the only player I can think of of worth who I could see actually coming to the front office and saying, hey, I got to get out of here. And even that's a question mark because they just traded for his other best friend, D'Angelo Russell, last year on his recommendation. And they've barely actually even played together because of injury. So maybe he's not ready to throw in the towel. So I, I get that things move quickly and a guy who looks completely fine right now in six months is going to be crying on the streets. But like who who's out there? Or who do you even think could be a possibility for the next big superstar trade? They, they don't need someone in a year. They need someone in two years. And for the exact reason you said, in two years, things will look very different. There will be disgruntled players. Look at Devin Booker. Let's say, whatever, they flame out in the first round this year. Chris Paul takes a step back next year, they lose, they miss the playoffs, all of a sudden he's unhappy. Like These things can change really fast. So I don't think Miami needs a plan for a year from now. I think in two years, three years, they'll be able to find that replacement. I, I do think this is their only last year of really contending with Jimmy Butler because, um, I, mean, may, I mean, maybe next year as well, but I think that window is definitely closing fast. But yeah, I mean... I think they're going to be trying to compete with Butler, though, not just thinking about that next era, which means they're going to act quick. I think they're going to try to figure out something this summer. Don't laugh. Yeah. Don't laugh here. John Wall, <laughs> who has put up back-to-back 30-point games for the first time Look. since 2018. This man has never seen this green of a light since his days at Word of God <laughs> Academy in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's shooting 30 times a game. It must be unbelievable because they lose by like 25 at night, but he gets his numbers. Could he be that third star next to Butler and Bam as a pure facilitator? Because they could use one of those uh, with all the shooting and other playmaking and defense they have around him. Look, I, I was on the wall hype train along with you early this season. But let's be honest. The Rockets have lost how many in a row? 13? I think 12 or 13. But dude, are you watching the players they're putting out there? It's not even G League level. Yeah, but all I'm saying is I don't think John Wall's moving the needle that much. I don't think he's a nice name, but I don't know if he's the missing piece for that Heat team. I don't know if he's going to unlock so much more out of them that they're going to be much better. So I, that to me would be a terrible move to get his contract. The, well, so I'm just looking at like even just like sorting by points per game. I'm looking at who could potentially be had. Maybe a guy like Malik Beasley, right? Like someone around the fringes who's not a star but can give him yeah. more scoring, give him a little bit more 3 and D. That's That could be what you do now and then figure it out, go for the home run long term. Why not Beal? Why not Beal? I mean, look, Beal is always the guy that's made a lot of sense. They have the assets, Hero, Robinson, Nunn, yeah. Precious, Picks. Like, they they can match salary. They can kind of do it all. But 
for whatever reason, neither he nor the wizard seem inclined to end this partnership. Um, I think what they've done recently has been somewhat of fool's gold. They actually just beat the Clippers tonight. Um, they beat the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> like they've had some pretty marquee wins. If they were trying to fight for a spot in the NCAA tournament, they would have like a lot of top 20 RPI wins type shit. And at the same time, they're still in 12th place. And they still have Russell Westbrook averaging five and a half turnovers a game and shooting like 20% from three. So I worry, you know, the Wizards are the type of franchise like the Kings that if they win two in a row, they start talking playoffs. Oh, yeah. Um, and oh, yeah. it's it's a really, really dangerous place to be in where any sign of positivity means that they're going to like load up for number eight. Um, and I think they're not going to break the band up this year. And then we'll see what happens because he came, he seems to want to win here. And I guess as long as he says, um, I'm sticking around, the team has no desire to move. Him. They all say that, man. But like you guys, even with that streak and beating all these good teams, you're still a game out of the play-in spot in the East. Like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. No, believe uh, I, me, I understand. Yeah, I don't know. Miami's just one of those teams I'd never count out. Any other team, I'd sound the alarms, but they always they're gonna find a way. And I think they'll they, yeah, like you said, they could make a signing like uh, Malik Beasley type, at least to keep the window open a little bit longer. And then I think they're going to make a big move in two or two years, three years. You're going to see another big star. Who knows? Maybe Giannis early in his contract gets shipped out. I, I'm not saying no to anything these days. Like it's all a possibility. Yeah. We keep seeing the years of when you are able to credibly re- re- demand a trade, extend and extend. Hell, the NFL, Deshaun Watson is about to start year yeah. one of a five year <laughs> deal and he's never playing again for the Texans. So who the hell knows? Um, the other team we need to talk about in the East that I think it's really a tragedy that there's no fans this season because the New York Knicks are as fun as they've been since prime Carmelo Anthony era. They're currently fourth, uh, tied with Boston. Or sorry, fifth because Boston just won as well tonight. So they're fifth uh, in the East at 19 and 17, heading into the All Star break. So exactly at 36 games. You know, Thibodeau was a guy who was always going to give them instant credibility, but at the same time, there were questions about whether the game passed him by, right? With how it ended in Minnesota, especially without any clear top tier talent in New York and. It is wild to see how well they play defensively and how hard they play all the time. Um, and I love, you know, quickly Barrett, Randall. Like they just got a lot of fun guys on that team right now. Uh, my respect for Tibbs has increased so much this past season because I don't think it's it's talked about enough what this Knicks team is doing. This Knicks roster, given to any other coach or many other coaches, it's still devoid of talent. Look, none of us were touting Julius Randle as a, as a great player the last couple of years. He's a nice guy, but um, nothing special. R.J. Barrett has been playing well this year, but he still hasn't taken a leap to becoming a superstar. So you look down the rest of this roster, like as great as the season quickly has been having, he's not a, a, a game-changing all-star type, right? And yeah. for this team, like you said, to have an identity and to play defense, it it is quite commendable what they're doing and i think it shows that a good coach on a bad roster like i think if tibbs went to the sacramento kings team for example they'd definitely be in contention for the playoffs and so 
Uh, I think you can't undersell the kind of coaching job he's doing there, getting those guys to buy in. And man, I feel bad for Knicks fans because Madison Square Garden would be electric night in, night out. And and they love their like workhorse type guys, right? They'd love a guy like Randall quickly. Yes. They're all about their kind of underdog, uh, scrappy players. This would yep. have been a perfect team for them. Dude, I was at I was in New York in 2018 for work, and I went to a Knicks Nets game when both teams were shitty. I think the Nets that was a the year they snuck in as like a seven or eight seed with D'Angelo Russell, and the Knicks were losing the whole game, but it, like they cut it to like six in the fourth, and the place it like as a guy who mostly spent my time in Capital One Center in DC, where it was a playoff <laughs> game and you couldn't even tell. This was the exact inverse, where it was a six-point game for, like, the 20-win Knicks in the fourth quarter, and the place was going fucking bonkers. And I just keep thinking back to that. And it was the only time I've ever been in Madison Square Garden, but I keep thinking back to that versus what they get actually get now, which is, like you said, a hardworking team, a grit-and-grind kind of approach. Um, the other thing about coaching that I was thinking about, this really ties back to our Boston conversation, and there's an example in San Antonio with Popovich is, Coaching is probably most important to get back to the middle because you can get guys to play hard. You can scheme certain wins. You can be creative to really get into title contention. You need a top 10 guy. I mean, pretty much any title team really ever, except maybe like the 04 Pistons hasn't had that right or has had that, I should say. And so coaching is really, really important to go from we're somewhat of an embarrassment to we are a respectable team that plays hard every night. And in the NBA, especially in today's NBA, just playing hard every night gives you a pretty good chance of winning. And that's ultimately what he's done for this roster. And, you know, I've been patting my fist all season that Julius Randle deserved real all-star consideration. I think that it's easy to just dismiss it as, oh, dude, it's Julius Randle. Like, come on. But then you actually unpack the numbers a little bit. And it's like, okay, this dude is balling. Um, It's not pretty, right? They're the 23rd ranked offense, uh, but they're the second ranked defense. And that's Tibbs Hallmark. It's what he won a title with in Boston. And I'm really interested to see because it always feels like this is a bit of a house of cards where we're going to come back to reality and they're going to lose like six out of seven. But every time we keep waiting for that, it's not happening. So I'm really interested to see if they can ultimately stay in that top six, right? Avoid the play-in tournament and be a real live playoff team come, come April, May. Yeah, and the other thing is when you're a roster devoid of talent, like I still consider the Knicks pretty devoid of talent. Yeah. It's much easier to play fast pace, no defense, and try to get into a run and gun type game. And you know the very you know the variability of it all will help you win some games night in night out. It's hard to make your bones as a defensive team when you have a lack of you know really great score creators, playmakers, and still be pretty competitive. Like they're a good defensive team and they're winning you know some pretty big games. And so I think that. That's something special, especially in today's NBA where everyone's dropping 120. Um, they're averaging like, what, 104 points a game? Something ridiculous. I remember because yeah. when they beat the Kings, they scored like 136 and it was a big deal. because Yeah, then they're like, oh, my God, the Kings are really bad on defense. Yeah, yeah 104.6. Yeah, they're 29th so. in scoring and first in points against. So there you have it. Yep. All right, so let's move out west. Um, I think the first team we got to talk about is Utah because if you think back to our over-unders podcast, 
everything we predicted to happen to Denver, we had the right idea in that there was a team that was going to race out there and try to get ahead of both LA teams and avoid playing them both. We picked the wrong uh, wrong team in that division. It turned out to be the Jazz, not the Nuggets, that did exactly that. Um, you know, they've been mowing people down all year. Uh, they're first in net rating, you know, second overall in offense, third in defense. And when you look at them, when you watch them play, it really jumps out. Of course, how good defensively they are with Gobert, but offensively, just the shooting um, from all over the court. Donovan Mitchell's taken another step. Of course, he got a second all-star appearance. I don't know that I, like I said last week, I don't think I would pick them over the Lakers, but I think at this point you have to give a real, give them a real shot against anybody else, including the Clippers. You do. They've become a well-oiled machine offensively. Uh, Conley has really been amazing this year. And Clarkson being that spark flow off the bench, I don't think anyone expected He's always been a nice player, but he's he's been really big for them uh, in giving yeah. them that burst scoring in that second unit, which they never used to have in the past. Like this team used to die, live and die offensively with Donovan Mitchell. And I, I think the concern with them still is that they're, they're a good shooting team, but they're a couple games recently, and I don't want to be a victim of recency bias, but even against Philly, where they get yep. very tight near the end, it becomes the Donovan Mitchell chucking, yes. inefficient play, you know, that same type of, of game. And that's it's not going to work in the playoffs because we've seen that and it hasn't worked yet. But um, but I mean I, I think they've got the pieces to figure it out. the The concerning thing for me though is ultimately no matter how good Utah is, their measuring stick is can you beat the Lakers and can you beat the Clippers? Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if they have an answer for those teams just yet. No matter how good they've been uh, recently. And so the skepticism was warranted. I know people get upset that we don't talk, people don't talk enough about Utah. They're 20 and two, and people want to focus on the losses. But we see this every year, right? That, that team that's just clicking offensively all season long. Do they have an answer in the postseason? You know, only time will tell. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because shooting is one of those things that when it dries up and you don't have a good plan B, you see what happened to the 2018 Houston Rockets, right? Where they missed 27 straight threes. They were up 10 in game seven, but they just didn't have another way to score. And with Utah, their other way is just Donovan Mitchell bowling to the basket. And it can work if you have a really high-level ISO scorer. He's not that. Um, He may become that one day. He's not that yet. Like you said, we've seen it in the playoffs. Here's what's concerning. I'm going to read you their top three-point shooters, attempts and percent, and you tell me if there's a regression to the mean coming. Mitchell. 38% 38% on nine attempts a game. Clarkson, 37% on nine attempts. Conley, 42% on six and a half. Boyan Bogdanovich, 41% on seven. Joe Ingles, 47% on five a game. And Royce O'Neal, 41% on four a game. That's like a team of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and James <laughs> Harden. When you combine like volume, efficiency. So... I know shooting's been up across the league this year. I know defense has been down, but when things get tight, it's not as much of a free-flowing offense. There's not as many of those looks that just pop up for guys who are open to shoot, you know, used to shooting open looks. That's when I worry about how they're going to generate points. I think they'll still remain a good defensive team because Gobert is a good defensive, a great defensive player. 
I think, and I don't think he'll get played off the court when you're talking about going against Denver, going against Utah, sorry, uh, Dallas, going against um, Phoenix, the Lakers. All of them have big men that are going to stay on the court. But, man, can they shoot that way in the playoffs? You know, history would tell us no. That's the thing. Anytime that shooting is is unreal, those stats you just read out. Like Ingles is what, 47%? From three? It's 40, yeah. It's, it's, it's absurd. It, it, it's absolutely yeah, absurd. Like, yeah, there's a rush into the mean. I, I think for you, I mean, if I'm a Utah fan, look, you of course you're going to be hyped. Of course you're going to be excited because all the questions you had have been answered so far. Can they have a more balanced scoring attack um, You know, to keep up the defensive efficiency but become more efficient on offense, have someone on the bench who can come and be that spark plug? They've answered all the questions we've had the last couple of years. But at the end of the day, Donovan Mitchell is still not – He's not Dwayne Wade. I know that used to be a popular comparison back then. Uh, mm-hmm. He's an undersized guard. He can't. He can take over games when his shooting is hot, but he's not a wing. He's not a Kawhi. He's not a LeBron who can't bully his way in, into buckets. And so um, when the shooting dries up, that's still going to be a key concern. They don't have that big wing that can just um, get him easy buckets. And I still think that matters in the NBA or a big man who can do that. So. Yeah, and they're only, you know, they're 17th in the league in free throw rate, which is a great way to generate points when your shot's not following. So can they get to the line? Uh, Like you said, they have a bunch of undersized or, you know, lankier types of wings that are not going to go initiate contact um, and get the 8, 10 free throw attempts they need. So anyway, I mean, look, all the numbers right now look phenomenal, right? Like there's no arguing against what they've done this year. All we're trying to do is figure out why it might not work. Because if you look at them right now, they are de facto the best team in the league. Um, Even the Clippers loss and the Sixers loss notwithstanding. Um, So, you know, we'll just have to keep an eye on how that progresses in the second half. Um, The other team I wanted to talk about. So let's do a quick L.A. pulse check. Where is your concern level on a scale of one to ten for the Lakers and then for the Clippers? One being for, no concern at all. Ten being, I'm extremely concerned. They should figure something out ASAP. Lakers, it's a, it's a two. Uh, okay. The Clippers is is a seven. Uh, not a seven. <laughs> maybe a six. Could be um, a seven. I. Kawhi, Kawhi recently, I think he's not been playing that well. Um. And they've had some. I mean, they lost to Washington today. I haven't even looked easy, at what happened in that game. Easy, but he didn't play. Relax with the laugh as you say for, that. Yeah, sorry. Kawhi played today. Paul George didn't play. But look, I, what I was expecting from the Clippers this season was to kind of take. They started off the season hot, um, but they're still playing the same type of basketball they played last season. I, I know Serge Ibaka has been been solid for them, and Batum has actually given them something useful. But I don't see anything that. Sh- Significantly changed from last year. That makes me more confident to pick them over the Lakers. I picked them as my finals pick, but watching their games, I I'm just not impressed with with Kawhi this season either. I think I'm not sure if he's he's kind of easing it back now as we're heading into All Star break or um, this. I just don't see this team all of a sudden turning it up a notch in the postseason. I thought they really needed to have a good regular season establish that chemistry identity as they headed into the postseason. I'm not seeing that. The Lakers, I think, have that. They're now obviously dealing with this Anthony Davis injury, so I don't put a lot of stock into their recent losses. And they've won the championship. They've got that confidence. So for me, the Clippers are a real issue. 
Yeah, I think my Lakers meter is at a four or five, and it's strictly Anthony Davis health-related. I'm concerned that that calf injury, which started out being day-to-day, then it was week-to-week, and then it was instantly four or five weeks, could linger. And we know this dude is not exactly like freaking the Michelin man in terms of sturdiness, right? Like he he gets nicked up a lot and they cannot win the title without a fully healthy Anthony Davis. I think that much is clear. LeBron in year 18 still looks good. He's kind of tapered off a bit recently, uh, partly because he's just carried a bigger load, partly because not only Davis was out, Schroeder was out as well. Um, I think because of COVID protocols or maybe an injury. And so and now Marcus Soule's out. So they've had a bit of a banged up squad. I'm not concerned if they are at full health. I just worry about what Davis's level uh, of health is going going to be because this guy had never played this much basketball in his life. And last year it got nicely broken up by a four and a half month hiatus. Now that's not going to be the case. And he's never gone past the second round playing continuously. Um, he's always nursing like four to seven random different ailments that like kind of knock down like five to 10% of his effectiveness. And, you know, he doesn't get the bubble and that whole layoff to like kind of recharge and get healthy. He has to go go straight, 72 games and four rounds. And I think is he going to do it would be the only reason why I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about the Lakers. Now, the Clippers, I think we, we – you may have been the lone voice in the dark clamoring about how Kawhi is just a tad overrated and a tad uh, – sort of pushed into a tier or an echelon that he may not quite deserve to be in. And I always thought it was funny that we just kept saying, okay, Lakers, Clippers, and everyone else. Lakers, Clippers, and everyone else. But, okay, let's talk about that for a second. The Nuggets just made the conference finals. The Blazers can have made the conference finals. Like, you know, there are other teams in there that have actually had more success than the Clippers in recent years. So why are we, you know just assuming that they're they get to be in the Lakers tier what because they signed two marquee free agents like they haven't done anything they haven't had any type of 20 game stretch where they just dominate so what are we exactly saying that the Clippers are and when you watch them they're one of the worst late game teams that I've ever seen um (laughs) for a good team I mean sorry (laughs) not like any team for for a title team they're horrific down the stretch part of this has to do with the fact that they have no point guard have I not been saying this all year. That's what I was, yeah, exactly. It's the same issue. Kawhi, Kawhi is being asked to do something he's not comfortable doing. He's never had to do. In Toronto, he had Kyle Lowry. In, in San Antonio, he had Par, uh, Tony Parker. And so I don't know how long they can go without making a kind of a major move. They don't really have a lot of assets to trade. But if they wanted to match salaries and throw in some picks to go get a Lowry, they could do it. Or if they wanted to do that to go get a Goran Dragic or, you know, go get, I don't even know who would fit the bill of a team that's that's sort of not contending that has someone out there. But I think they're at a seven or eight for me because when I say comp, when I say panic meter, I'm talking championship. Yep. So from that standpoint, because it is a zero sum game for like five teams in the league, and they're one of them. No, I, look the the point guard issue. We've always talked about that. The crunch time issue is something that was there last season as well. The Lakers, the Lakers is interesting. When you talk about Anthony Davis and the lingering injury, I think the the nice thing they have is they don't they can easily rest him for much longer than the injury even warrants because LeBron has such a high floor with his teams. Like they can stumble yeah. a little bit here and there, but they're going to be a top four seed. And this is a team that I don't think 
at the top four, you've got Utah number one, Phoenix number two. Like if LA has to play either one of them in the second round, I don't think it's they're worried about that. So I, I agree that Anthony Davis is something to monitor. I just think that they have the luxury of resting him for much longer um, down the stretch if they need to. It should be noted, given you know pivoting to our science hat here, given how fast we're starting to roll out vaccinations and with Johnson & Johnson approving the third vaccine in the U.S., there's a real shot that by playoff time, especially in some of these Republican-run states like uh, Arizona and Utah, where both the Jazz and Suns play, they could be at 50 to 70% capacity. Um, I don't think that's that out of the question by playoff time. Absolutely. Which, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, all what, year the, the Texas teams rounds, yeah. are, are already allowing like 4,000 people. Um, I think it was the Texas. It was one of the Texas teams. Yeah, yeah. I think Rockets, in Houston, yeah, they had 4,000. Yeah, that's already – you're already at 20% capacity, right? By the time the playoffs roll around, definitely at least 50%. So that would be interesting to see especially a team like Utah that thrives off of that home court energy. If they can pack that place 70, 80%, that, that's good for at least one, one potential. Yeah. Event, right? And think about how long it's been for Phoenix since they've been good. They don't yeah. maybe have the same fans as Utah, but like they haven't been good since the Nash era. So to have that kind of vibe going, and then you talk about LA, they're going to go home to empty stadiums, right? Cause you know, we haven't recalled Gavin Newsom yet. And so um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, um, so you, so you think about like that kind of dynamic now, the LeBron love fest, if he's able to win on the road with fans and then win at home without fans, like I can't even begin. Did Jordan ever do that? I don't know. <laughs> Jordan never played through a pandemic and won possibly two titles <laughs> in a pandemic. That's that has not been done. But did you see um, Space Jam? The the I did. I did. It, it's. It, I know it's going to be horrible. Like I can't imagine in any world where this is actually a good, entertaining movie, especially because Space Jam itself. I don't think if we like if it came out today, the old Space Jam. I don't think we'd be waxing poetic. It's all nostalgia. But I'm hyped, man! I can't wait. I think it's July 21st. It's coming out. I'm going to see that the moment they release it on HBO Max, or if it's in the theaters and we can go by then. I'm. I'll be there. I, I saw a hilarious thing on Twitter where it was like, oh my God, the CGI is incredible. And it was like LeBron with like a couple of the Looney Tunes characters near him. But then the zoomed in picture was just them out of the frame and just strictly on his hair. Because <laughs> his hair does look pretty, pretty full. Very volu- volume, voluminous. voluminous. Yeah, voluminous. Um. um so, yeah, so we'll see what happens in L.A. I think I think they'll all be there. The question is if they have to play each other in round two, if they finish two, three, something like that. That could be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, um, they're all bunched up at the at the top, right? I think not bunched up, but uh, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, those three teams are all within a game. Uh, and then Utah's way ahead. So th- th- there's going to be a lot of shuffling between that two and four spot. Yep. And the last thing to talk about in the West is really the battle for play-in, ahead of play-in, you know, who's going to end up kind of in that 6-7 spot. 
uh, and then eight, nine, ten, I think is really interesting because you have a lot of stars currently in, in stars and star teams currently in those spots. So right now, I'm looking at. Do you have? If you have it up, go ahead and read it off. But right now, yeah, I'm looking so at. Yeah, go for you it. You have Portland and Denver, um, who are both in the five. Portland's in the five slot. Denver's in the six slot. Uh, but then just a game behind both of them is San Antonio in seven. A game behind San Antonio is Dallas in eighth. And then Golden State is tied with Dallas, uh, but right now behind them in the tiebreaker, so they're ninth. So essentially, seeds five through nine are separated by two games. And in those, you have Portland, Denver, San Antonio, Dallas, Golden State. We're talking about perennial playoff teams or teams at the very least we'd expect this season to have comfortably make the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. all duking it out for um, you know, the last three spots or so. So someone's going to be disappointed. I think this is going to be interesting to see. I think if the Warriors miss the playoffs, now the Warriors are very confident, and you know, Curry's had an amazing season, which has been great for them. They're going to get Clay back. But you also worry about what is the ceiling of this team, even with Clay back. If they can't make the playoffs with Steph, they might need to make a much bigger move. And Dallas has been playing well recently, but there begs a question too: if if the Kristaps Luca pairing is is the right one, um, if if they're unable to make the playoffs, and so I think all these teams are going to face if Denver misses it, that's in a Jokic MVP type season uh, raises the flags, right? So I think what's interesting about this is there's going to be one of these teams misses out, or two of these teams miss out, and there are going to be a lot of of questions facing kind of management and and coaching and ownership in terms of where do they go from there? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of teams, like you said, that are kind of invested in the now uh, the golden state point is super important because clay isn't taking them from out of playoffs to title contention. Right. Yep. So even if you argue that with him, you're a top four seed, top five seed coming off a two year layoff with two of the worst injuries in basketball, they have to really temper expectations with what he's going to do. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because a lot of people, a lot of draft pundits say it's kind of like a five-player draft, right? You have Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green. Uh, Kuminga. Sorry, Jalen Suggs. No, what the fuck? But, Are they both named Jalen? Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, uh, you know, Jonathan Kuminga, and Evan Mobley. Those are the right last names. Let's, the first names are irrelevant. No, Those is, are the right, yeah, right. last names. Um, <laughs> Now, Golden State owns Minnesota's first-round pick, but it's top three protected in the Wiggins-Russell trade. If that falls at four or five, you're looking at a franchise player plus James Wiseman, who some people consider a franchise player from last year's draft. Golden State could turn those two chips into a megastar, potentially. That's when you get into the Bradley Bill conversation. That's when you get into something bigger than just, you know, fringe moves like trading for Kelly Oubre. So (laughs) ultimately, with Steph still playing like an MVP, with Draymond having a bit of a resurgence, the fact that they're still struggling is is a testament to how, uh, you know, shallow and, and, and poor this talent is around those two guys. I think they have to make a move because they can't allow the last two to three years of Steph's greatness to kind of go, you know, Sort of unfeathered a little bit. And I think, you know, same goes with with Denver, who's ready to win now. If they falter. Or Portland, who's got all these. Portland, dude, Portland owes uh, Damian Lillard $200 million. And so him and CJ McCollum are both on new contracts. That team is what it is. 
you know, if they slip and suddenly start to get into the playing game, there's going to be big questions there. The only ones who are kind of playing with house money right now in that top 10, you could argue are Memphis and San Antonio. Um, mm-hmm. Because San Antonio is sitting on some vets, but they're all coming off the books and they have a ton of really young talent. Same goes with Memphis. Even someone like Dallas, who's got Luca, you know, he's in his third year, is got a potential albatross in this Christoph Porzingis deal. And so there really isn't as much move, you know, as much room as you often think to to build around your stars. This is going to be fascinating to see how this breaks down. I'm very curious to see what Golden State does. Like you said, I think if they do get that pick, um, you need to shop Wiseman and that pick. Like you shouldn't fall into the trap of, look, we got some good young guys. That plus the combo of vets that we have in our roster will be enough. It's rare where you can have a team of just really raw players and a bunch of really experienced vets uh, win a title or be a title contender. Uh, I know the Heat had some of that last year, but the Heat were also an anomaly more than anything. So um, I think for them, they're going to have to be really aggressive. And Draymond is is playing well, but he's you know he's the kind of player who his offensive game has already fallen off for sure. But even his mm-hmm. defense could fall off at any moment when he loses that that step. Um, so, uh, I, I am curious to see what they do in the off season. The most comparable recent scenario is the Cavs trading the number one pick for Kevin Love, because yeah. whatever you think of Kevin Love, if you think he wasn't quite worth an asset as great as number one, the reality is he was going to be better for the LeBron era than whatever that number one pick ended up being. And it was Andrew Wiggins and whatever. Okay. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins didn't really become a star, but he was never going to help LeBron the way Kevin Love was able to help LeBron. That's 100% that's, the same scenario. Because there were yeah. people at the time saying, why doesn't LeBron try with, with Andrew Wiggins? He's like this. He's going to be a great star. Even if Andrew Wiggins was like an amazing rookie season, 25 points a game, that, that Cavs team was not going anywhere. So I totally agree. Yeah. And you could argue like the Warriors have less pressure to make – that kind of move because they won three titles, they went to five finals, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, a guy like Steph may never pass through your doors ever again. And so if you have two years left of, of him playing at near MVP levels, then you have to capitalize by whatever means necessary. And clearly by the fact that they have an $85 million tax bill this year, they've shown that they're willing to spend. So yep. they're going to be aggressive. They just have to find the right player and the right team to, to make a trade with them. Let me ask you this. If the Warriors miss the playoffs this year, do you think about Steph Curry a little bit differently? As, look, a two-time MVP, three-time NBA champ, a spectacular season. And I don't care if it's a Western Conference. You can't get the eighth seed. Like, Anthony Davis was able to do that with a Pelicans team that was also pretty devoid of talent, right? Like, eighth seed is not some Herculean effort. So if they, you know, there's still a lot of time left in the season, would that change your perception of Steph or where you put him in? you know, the grand hierarchy so, of players. The only thing I would say is it would depend on his role in them missing the playoffs. But hypothetically, say he is playing how he is playing now. Definitely not. Because his numbers, when you watch, everything looks the same. Like he's averaging 36 and 5 on ridiculous efficiency. He's still the deadliest shooter in the league. He's still like you watch like I was watching the Portland game, which Portland actually won uh, the other night. That crazy shot by Dame. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely bonkers shot by Dame, who was like one of nine at the time or something (laughs) like that from three. And 
he creates so much magnetism on the court. Everyone is drawn towards him, but they don't have the guys to do what the Livingstons, Iguodala's, you know, obviously Durant's, Clay's of the world were doing. And I can't fault him for for having Damian Lee not being able to finish plays <laughs> or having like Juan Toscano Anderson like not knocking yeah. down shots. So like unless he, if he had like a huge choke job in the playing game, I would probably, you know, give him a little bit more shit than than I would right now. But as of now, nothing to me is indicating that this is on him any more than it was on Anthony Davis for missing the playoffs in five of his seven years in New Orleans. Oh yeah, I don't think it's on him, and, I, and I'm just I'm bringing this up just to stir the pot a little bit. But I also think that it is interesting, right? Like when you it, when a player of Steph's caliber uh, misses the playoffs, uh, and yeah, he's he missed a lot. He doesn't have a really good roster around him. But the expectation for the Warriors this season was to make the playoffs. It's not that mm-hmm. we expected them to not be a playoff team, right? So, in some ways, if they don't make it, they are underperforming, and that's not what anyone expected. So, anyways, we'll yeah. be interesting to see. Yeah, I always think back to like Kevin Garnett was out in round one like seven or eight straight years with Minnesota. T-Mac never won a playoff series till he rode the bench for San Antonio. And Steph is better than those guys historically, Way I think. That might be, at least KG is close because I think him and KG are both in the same like 10, 10 spot range. Obviously way better than T-Mac, but um, I think LeBron is an unfair comp. Right, you can't be like, well, LeBron wouldn't have done this, or Kevin Durant would have done, because that now you're talking about a different rarefied air. I wouldn't even put Kevin Durant there. I'd say LeBron is a different version that that I know Steph and him have had that rivalry of meeting in four straight finals, but it's not reasonable because there's a lot of guys that are Steph's com- like contemporaries that would have been in similar situations with those teams. Like if if Houston never made the Harden trade. I'm curious if that team would have made the playoffs because Harden is unbelievable, but it's a G League roster, essentially. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair, but Westbrook's made the playoffs with, you know, barely any roster. Giannis has made it in a low seed in the East when he's had really no one around him. You know, there's all these guys, the top 10 guys have have done it without a great roster. So, um yeah, that's we'll fair. See. Something, to, something to keep an eye I, on. Um, Dallas, I'm really interested in Dallas though because uh, where do you, th- what do you think they do if, if they miss it? Let's say the Kristaps thing isn't working out. Can they get out of of that contract? Can they move him? Do they think you think they should move him, or they try to build it more around, um, you know, get some more shooting? They they clearly lost a big piece in Seth Curry and some of these other guys. The Kristaps Porzingis issue is one of the hardest challenges that any NBA team faces right now. So let me break this down, right? What we're seeing in the NBA is starting to be similar to what we're seeing in the NFL, where you have these cost-controlled young players who are already playing like championship caliber pieces before they've even hit their second contract. It's the same way where if you have a cheap contract rookie QB on that deal, that's when you spend up and you go win with a Patrick Mahomes on his rookie deal. You go win with a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or whoever before you have to pay them. That's what's happening in the NBA where you there's such a rush. Like Boston, we just talked about it. Jason Tatum is now paid. Jalen Brown is now paid. But the cheat code was when they were still playing at all-star levels and you could still afford a Hayward, a Kyrie, and a Horford. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. The issue with 
Dallas is they are now out of time on Luca. They owe him a max extension this upcoming summer, which he'll sign and they'll have this this summer of space. But after that, his new money goes on the books, right? And so the big piece was Kristaps. That's that's their timing issue. The Kristaps related issue is he's too good to sell out this low on, right? It's very risky to just almost like ship him out as like as like salary cap space. But he's also so injury prone that no team is going to give up the requisite assets that his game indicates because unless it's just an equally bad or equally injured contract, bad contract or injured player. It's I don't know, it's an impossible answer because I don't know that there's a right choice. The version of Kristaps that you saw at that start of that Dallas series last year, that's a guy you keep and you build around. But then what happened in that Dallas series? He got hurt and missed the last two games. And therein lies the paradox that I think Mark Cuban's probably having a lot of sleepless nights, you know, thinking about. Yeah, and the more he gets injured, right? Like he's so talented offensively, he can figure it out. But what made him special was his what he could do on the defensive side. And as that as the injuries pile up, that gets sapped. And then you have a guy who, if he all of a sudden he can't play defense and he becomes a liability, we see this happen all the time with big men. Like if you don't have that, uh, you can't keep up with that defensive potential. You're going to get run off the court on the in the playoffs. And so, but I agree. I don't think they have a lot of options. I think there are moves on the fringes they can make. Like um, they were a really good team last year, and I think they had a nice identity. And I think Seth Curry was a big loss for them. But yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, think, yeah, I underrated and, that move. I thought that was a good trade for them. I did too, right? With with Josh Richardson. Um, but look, they're they're playing well recently. Um, they started off slow, but I think they're on a more of a tear recently, so they could still keep climbing. But one of these teams, man, they're gonna miss miss the postseason. Uh, and so I'm. That's what I'm really interested in seeing uh, following that race out west. I, and and I the play in tournament gonna, is gonna be awesome. I think it's gonna be Golden State. Really? I because I, I think about it, right? I look at it. Like I think Denver and Portland are gonna finish where they are finishing. I think the top six is gonna hold. Yep. Right now. And you see Denver starting to play better. Portland's gonna get CJ McCollum back after the break. And so they're gonna start to put it together, get a little healthier. I actually feel comfortable with that six staying as is. Then you look at let's just say the four right now, San Antonio, Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, and and the Pelicans are sort of lurking. Of those four, I think I like San Antonio and Dallas to hold on to those seven and eight spots. Really? You like San Antonio to hold on? I think Luka is the best player of that group, including Steph Curry. Potentially. Um, I don't know if I'd go even that far, but I think Luka has the best situation to magnify his skills in a way. Um, And I think they run such a centric offense around him that works. Whereas with the Warriors, when Steph hits the bench or like when other guys aren't making shots or you just double team him, it's it's easier to stop the Warriors in that realm. And but so I wait, think, but, I don't know. But, but the play in turn is going to benefit these guys, right? Because you're telling me you trust San Antonio. Like I get San Antonio may finish with a better record. You trust, you're telling me you trust them in the play in game if they end up playing Golden State. Um, I just like the way they're playing, man. I think. No, but in, 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 a, in a do or die game. You're going to bet against Steph Curry. You think DeMar DeRozan and DeJounte Murray and 
uh, all these guys, Keldon Johnson, are going to The, stop, the stop. only thing is they only have to win once. So they got to go one and one. Okay. Because as a seven and eight, you get like you only—it's like a double elimination for them technically. No, no, it's not. It's not because seven. No, no, seven plays ten. No, no, no. Um, seven plays eight. Seven plays eight, and nine plays ten. Oh, sorry. Seven plays eight, and nine plays ten. But if nine wins, let's say the Warriors win, they only have to beat the Spurs once. Yeah, but they had to win that first game too. That's what I'm saying. They have to go two and zero. Oh, yeah, the Spurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spurs yeah, the Warriors home. have to beat Memphis, and then they have to play San Antonio. All I'm saying is I would not bet against you know, the Warriors or the Mavs in that playing tournament. But we, yeah, we'll see. It'll be that'll be a lot of fun, I think, in both conferences because the East is jumbled as it is. We have no, we couldn't even talk about the playing in the East. We have no idea which four teams are going <laughs> to end up there. Um, it's not the Wizards. Okay. I'll tell you that, which is pretty pretty sad. Why they're like one game out of it, two games out of it, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the Wizards, but. Lastly, really quick, uh, All-Star. So this is a little depressing. Like we said, it's all happening on one day. But I'm just going to – let's just go through the events and we'll make predictions. And then the final event, which is the game, I'll read you the starters for each okay. uh, team. And then we'll make our picks. All right. So starting up the skills challenge, which I really – if they could have cut one, it probably could have been this one. But I guess they decided to keep it all. But – you got Robert Covington, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Damantas Sabonis, and Nikola Vucevic. And you want me to make a prediction? Yeah. And then we're going to go to FanDuel and bet it. <laughs> List the names again. Uh, Robert Covington, Luka, CP3, Julius Randle, Sabonis, and Vucevic. I'm going to go with CP3, the boring answer. Look, I the, the funny thing about this contest is big men have been winning a lot lately. Um, exactly. Bam win last year. Bam won last year. Bam won last year. Uh, another year, I think Cousins may have won, or he came close to winning. Big men win this way too often. But, so C, and CP3 is probably not the good odds favorite, but CP3, the old school skill challenges back in the day, I remember he used to be pretty good. He took it seriously. He wasn't one of those guys who loafed, you know, through the, the cones and stuff. So uh, I'll I'll, pick, I'll take CP3. So exactly what you said is why I'm going with Nikola Vucevic. Now, my boy Kirk Goldsberry, he does the fancy charts on Twitter, ESPN, all those things. He did the scoring by region or by zone on the court. Guess who leads the league in top of the key three-pointers? Vucevic. Vucevic, and guess where the shot is that you have to hit to end your round? It's the that's the killer one. It's the top exactly. of the key. It's basically if you hit it, you advance. If you go one of two, you're dead. Because yeah. everybody, <laughs> like the whole else thing is, is like determined by that final shot. It's so dumb. Exactly. So I'm gonna go Vucevic for that exact reason. All right. I love how you you wait to bring out the shot chart analytics at the skills contest <laughs> discussion as opposed to everything else we talked about. Like, everything else. Let is me just save like this me, nugget. Like licking my finger, putting it up in the air, and being like, "Yeah, I think Brooklyn will be doing pretty good this year. <laughs> I think Golden State won't make the playoffs based on nothing." Um, all right, three point contest. This is fun because all six players are all stars, so that 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 will be good. Yeah. Um, Devin Booker. Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. I'm going to go with, I think, I have a feeling you might pick this one. I'm going with Zach Levine. 
And the reason is this dude has shown to be a, I know you do, a microwave scorer, and he gets points in buckets. I can easily see him uh, draining several threes in a row. Uh, and he's on a mission this season. I think he's, this is his opportunity also to, uh, he's been gypped or uh, robbed of the dunk contest. So I think now he's like, let me at least win the three point contest to show people what's up. So. I like the Levine pick. I think he's definitely good at hoisting shots, so he should have no problem. He won't be tired. Um, I'm going with the best-looking guy in the field. That's Devin Booker. <laughs> he's the hottest and will probably distract the other contestants. And the other thing, you so have to much for the is, analytics that I gave you credit for the last. <laughs> but, <laughs> let me go more psychology here. He's disrespected who because after making the All Star team as a replacement last year going 8-0 in the bubble, getting Chris Paul, their top four seed. It kind of felt like Devin Booker was over the hump of being like the next guy, and he was actually a bona fide star. Lo and behold, the rosters come out, and Zion Williamson, a second-year player, takes what he probably thought was his spot because that was really, I think, the last guy picked. And I think he feels slighted. This is a great way to to, to rebound it. And Booker's not a phenomenal three-point shooter. I think career, he's like 34 35%, so he's actually under – uh, league average, but I think a lot of those are tough threes. It's almost like the Carmelo Anthony school of threes. Um, and when he's able to shoot and get in a rhythm, he can really, really, you know, build out a nice flow. So I got Devin Booker on that one. I could, I could see Book winning it. Um, I also wanted to ask: Is this the first time that the usually the defending three point champion is in the next year's contest? Buddy Hield declined to participate. Makes sense. Like why fly out? But. I don't think that's ever happened in recent history, right? Where the defending champ doesn't come back. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't go in this instance because it's one day, you can't party, yeah, you don't I, I decide your time off. I'm sure it's happened, right? Like, there's guys who have won who are just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not participating anymore. We'd have to get the research team on that. <laughs> All right. Now, the most depressing dunk contest maybe of all time. It's so depressing, in fact, that they couldn't even figure out a way to get to four candidates, four contestants, which is what we normally have. There's only three guys. Um, Obi Toppin uh, from the Knicks, Anthony Simons from the Trailblazers, and Cassius Stanley from the Pacers. Before you say anything, I would like to note, Cassius Stanley is the first ever player to be in a dunk contest without actually making a dunk in his NBA career. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we got, we've got that going for us. Um, maybe this is fun. Maybe these guys just do some sick dunks. But I think the problem is unless we really care about them, we're not going to remember it. It's like Jeremy Evans when he won for Utah uh, a few years ago. Nobody gave a shit because yeah. nobody knows who Jeremy Evans is. So who do you like here? And, and I guess why if you if you have a reason. I'm going with Cassius Stanley because I've never seen him and – I am going with just the, this is his time to shine in the spotlight. <laughs> no one knows his name. Literally, I, like no one knew who this guy was. Even the most, even like Pacers fans didn't know. Um, and he's on the Pacers. So I think, I think he might, I actually did not know the stat that he's never dunked in an NBA game. So all of a sudden I'm kind of worried about my prediction, but Anthony Simons and Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin's a power dunker. I don't think he's going to do anything, you know, really flashy. So uh, that, that's the most analysis I can give you. Well, it's funny because Cassius Stanley was like a really high prized recruit to Duke. 
in college and then has like withered away into nothingness so far in the NBA. He's only a rookie. He's only taken seven shots in his career. So to be <laughs> fair, the fact that he hasn't dunked isn't crazy. Uh, it's a little concerning for being in the dunk contest. I am actually going Obi Toppin. He he threw down some pretty sick through the legs dunks for for Dayton, especially ones that were in game. If you're doing that kind of stuff in game, I'm waiting to see what you can do. Uh, you know when you actually have like a set routine. And the thing with Obi Toppin is, though he's technically a forward, he's only six nine. So this isn't like Javel McGee dunking or like <laughs> yeah. Dwight Howard dunking. It won't look that weird. It'll look like, you know, Paul George was in the dunk contest. We wouldn't have thought of him as like this big man. And I think it's going to look similar. He's a pretty slight guy. And he's trying to prove to Tibbs that he deserves more minutes. <laughs> what better way than uh, defensive fundamentals during the dunk contest? So I'm going to Obi Toppin. Okay. Okay. All right. So the very last event, I'm almost tired of talking about this stupid all-star game now. <laughs> they are doing the Elam ending. Um, it should be noted. So very I last event. Yeah, I know. I just think I really think last year was a perfect case scenario, though, and we're going to be disappointed. I guarantee it. hundred percent. Yeah. So I'll tell you this early on. You have to bet with the lines. So LeBron's team is a three and a half point favorite for Vegas. Um, their starters are LeBron, Steph, Luka, Jokic, Kawhi, which is insanity. <laughs> Durant's team. And remember, he's not playing. It's Beal. Kyrie, Giannis, Embiid, and Tatum. And then they both have a bunch of guys on their bench, obviously. But this is the nut crunch lineup at the end of the game. I'm picking I'm picking uh, Kevin Durant's team. I like LeBron's starters much better, uh, but I didn't like his, the way he picked his bench. He had to get the company men, a.k.a. Ben Simmons, his friend Chris Paul, you know, he had to throw them a bone and then he gets stuck with Rudy Gobert at the end, who is the really the antithesis of what you'd want in an all-star game. Uh, he's got Sabonis on his roster. Like this team, look, this team is not is not beating Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's got Harden, Booker, Levine, all these guys gunning for points in the all-star game. You got Zion Williamson. No one's gonna be getting in his way during a dunk. I I, I don't see any way in which Durant's team loses. So LeBron's team has been 3-0 the past three seasons, but I'm picking Kevin Durant this year. The biggest problem with Kevin Durant's team is it doesn't have Kevin Durant on it. So for that reason, I'm picking LeBron because otherwise it would be fairly even. And I think the fact that you replaced him with Tatum is a downgrade as much as I like Jason Tatum. And look, you're talking, you're clowning Rudy Gobert and Sabonis. Those dudes are going to play five minutes a game. Look at their lineup (laughs) at the end of this game. Luka? Dame. Curry? Dane, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic, and Chris Paul, by the way, is a huge asset in an all-star game because he's actually going to get them organized. Zach Levine and James Harden are going to be running into each other on the court. Like, <laughs> There's no way that Tevin Durant's team has any semblance of just cohesion. And you know, Bradley Beal is never good in these settings because he's like, shit, I'm not quite good as all these other dudes. And he gets nervous. Zion's a first-time All-Star. Levine's a first-time All-Star. Jalen Brown. There's a lot. Of, well, actually, Jalen Brown's on, I think, Team LeBron. But there's a lot of nerves, I think, piling up. Yeah. LeBron's 4-0, okay, but- I think, since they moved to the captain format. Oh, okay. 4-0. But, okay, look at this. Think about Team Durant's crunch time lineup. You got Kyrie. You got James Harden. 
You got Kawhi. You got Joel Embiid. No, Kawhi's then, on my Kawhi's on no, LeBron's he's on, team. He's on Durant's team. No, he's not. He's on Durant's team, 100%. No, he's not. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it, too. Is he? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Am I an idiot? Yeah. Paul George is on LeBron's team. Kawhi. Oh, yeah, yeah. And wow, NBA.com. Oh, it's Giannis then. Shit, LeBron's got Giannis. Yeah, Giannis. You trust Giannis in the the crunch time? Look, Kyrie, Kyrie, Kawhi, Harden, Joel Embiid, and throwing Devin Booker. And that's also a pretty good lineup right there. Harden doesn't give a shit about All Star games. He's notorious. He's won an MVP. But he's won an MVP. Yeah, that was probably one of those, like, let's give it to him because it's in Houston type things. Actually, I don't even know if he's won an MVP yet. <laughs> it sounded good. Everybody's won an MVP. But, <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. I think, you know, we started at the top saying, what is it, what is it going to be like if it's not uh, if it's all in one day? I think it could be interesting. Maybe I, I prefer the weekend format as well, but they could at least kill Friday night. So if that's where we end up of only a Saturday-Sunday type event, I'd be okay with it. Maybe that's where our steady source Yeah, is. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it all could easily be compressed. It's not that the whole reason it was drawn out over three days was not because they didn't have enough time. Like these, All these events are pretty short. The All-Star, one thing I've always seen about All-Star Weekend is every year I get excited about it. I sit down on Friday to watch whatever events are going on, and then I realize how quickly disappointed I am and just it's not as exciting as I hoped it to be. Um, the dunk contest and three-point shootout are good, but Friday is always a letdown, so... You know, compressing all these things isn't bad. I just, I think none of the players are excited. No one cares, right? There's so many players, including LeBron, who've spoken out about even having an all-star game. So the level of apathy is already going to be through the roof. And that's what I worry about. Um, In a game that no one cares normally, now people are just like, it's not even fun to be there an all-star weekend. It's like, oh, it's a drag. I got to do this, play the game, and then get out. So... Apparently, ex-wizard great Andre Blatch is hosting a party uh, that weekend with two chains and a couple other dudes. <laughs> he, oh my God. Andre Blatch used to somehow play for the Wizards, but also host lap dance Tuesdays at a club in Miami. It was very <laughs> unclear how he was able to do both, but to balance the two, such was the state of the 2010 Washington Wizards. Oh man. But, but all right, that's a wrap for us. We will be back next week. We're going to actually have Kush on next week. We're going to do a full recap of the first half of the season in terms of over-unders, see who did well, who's terrible. The quick preview is Kush is killing us. Uh, so we <laughs> have the uh, self-proclaimed basketball experts. But we'll be back to you guys next week with that. In the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week. Thick and Thin.